Games, episode 56, The Wave Existence. We pick up with an interlude between Krellian and the Gazelle Ministry. It shows whatever Krellian has in mind is not as simple, if we could call it that, as the Elder's plans. The anima and animus are obtained, they say, along with the fleshly body of God, and now they, the elders, can merge with the persona of the mother. As their dialogue goes, and we've been treated to it throughout Xenogears, this is pretty comprehensible. Alas, Krellion extracts the memory banks from their orb, shutting them down one by one, instead of returning them to life as they'd thought. He was the one to preserve them in this form after their bodies were destroyed, but only so that they could use the Gaitia key when the time came. Now he removes them, just as he had Cain removed by Ramses, as they're no longer needed for his plans. He calls them terminal interface weapons, scornfully. They're just parts of the system that they thought they'd controlled. In fact, that system circumscribed their own notion of themselves and of God catastrophically. This helps explain the nature of the transformed humans. They too supply parts for the resurrected Deus. But Krellian defies these original humans in favor of their descendants. It seems to be in accord with the will of the other mother, as he calls her, namely Sophia. He moves on to his Project Noah, the ark that will bear him safely through the coming flood. Crucified, if not dead and buried, Fay, in his narration, mourns the loss of Ellie. She was taken from him, and all he can do is watch, powerless. Curiously, this retrospective narration comes up to the present. In the space of a few lines, I was powerless becomes I am powerless. These words projected against the backdrop of Ellie as she appears in her character portrait, not as in the Nissan painting by Lacan. We see a fay sitting, cradling his head, visited by the apparition of wise man. As he did before the championship bout in Kislev, the masked man helps Fay process the battles he's fought and strategize for those to come. The focus is on Graf, not Krellian, which shows we still have some work to do. Fay lost due to his pride, Wiseman says, relying on his id power and having nothing to counter the resentment and pure hatred of the world which drives Graf. Note, the player might well not have even lost that battle, but this is just one of the more overt ways in which the story and gameplay of Xenogears here are in tension. As we just saw, Ellie's battle to save her friends at Golgotha is not one we could control at all. Her feelings of desire, like Krellian's own, found their fruition, though the upshot of all that is to remove her from the party, disastrously late in the game and very likely equipped with some of your best gear. That is the true meaning of strength, Wiseman says. 
The player, for different reasons than Faye's self-pity, might well contend that it's far too simplistic to represent strength in battle as true in these ways. The whole tenor of the story has been rather to show the reciprocal love and devotion between Faye and Ellie, and by extension, that of their friends and communities, and seeking freedom from oppression and the unfettered expression of human potential, these to be the true meaning of strength. That is what I think, to quote wise men once more. But his framing things this way, and challenging Faye to reciprocate Ellie's physical sacrifice as well as her pure feelings, makes Wiseman more than ever a clear alter-ego for Graf, and it sets up the decisive battle to come. In two weeks' time, an oddly specific and generous amount of time seems to be passing in disc two, as if to make up for the crunch time that must have demanded its development in this fashion. Two weeks later, Faye and the others Head for Merkaba, Krellian's Raziel and nanomachine-built arc for the completion of his as-yet-unspecified purpose. Could it have taken that long to figure out that a giant floating continent would be where Krellian had taken Ellie? Anyway, we also run into the elements on a rescue mission of their own. They're headed to free Ramses from the manipulation of Krellian and Miang. The exchange here is with Dominia. She seems not to have come to terms with Ellie's teaching of compassion to the extent of actually joining forces, but she does at least forbear attacking a party. In fact, there are no random battles to fight at all, no exploration either, no gameplay of any kind in Markava just yet, though as terraformed by Deus, it will end up being the actual final dungeon once all the narration has finally run its course. Fay, for his part, still hasn't fully comprehended that a woman's prerogative is to love jealously, as well as universally. He insists on telling the elements to back off if things get dangerous, rather than joining forces with them, either. At all events, though the narration hurries us along to the final meeting with Ramses, we do have a brief interlude of gameplay first. Importantly, we are able to switch party members and upgrade equipment for the coming bosses. Saving here is potentially dicey, as they can be difficult, but it's probably a good idea given the immense amount of time you'd have to replay if anything goes wrong. And with the right setup and strategy, we shouldn't be in danger of getting stuck. Before that, though, there's an important visual callback to the angel altarpiece of Nissan, it's holographic looking, but unmistakably, it's those angelic figures. And it's a moment orchestrated here for us by the developers, transitioning us from narration to gameplay, briefly, but also within the game by Krellian, such that our gears descending the chute to the last level of the game occupy the place of the light that falls between the male and female figures in the cathedral. As Satan pointed out back then, that is the space where God advents. And as elaborated by Ellie and Margie in their last dialogue, that reaching out to one another is the esoteric and 
yet perfectly anodyne God preached by Sophia, those innermost feelings everyone believes in. As such, our party is in iconographically auspicious territory here. We, as Krellian has been all along, are in the position of playing God. The ominous fist-slamming sound that meets us next as we progress to the antechamber beyond is coming from Ramses. He's borrowed Krellian's gear from before. The Amphis Vena, it's called, glares down with its head sprouting a second miniature body whose arms are crossed, Graf style. That name apparently makes reference to the two-faced monster generated by the blood of the Gorgon as Perseus flew over the desert. It suggests those two-faced pilots who use it. As an Omnigear, it should not be possible for anyone other than its animus Krellian to pilot, but apparently this is proof of Ramses's perfection, as he was created to align with all anima relics, and thus could use any Omnigear. A more detailed version of his backstory emerges here, building on what we got in Nissan when he was humbled by Ellie. In this version, his disposal is the feet of none other than Karen, Fay's mother. She knows her son is the contact. She names him before the twitching fist, which already can hear them, Krellian says. Her son's name is Fay. That bit of flashback we've seen all along haunting Ramses as much as the demon of Elru within his rival. That connection back to Elru comes almost to the surface here, with the intervention of one of its few survivors, Dominia. Ramses, though, ignores her pleas to come away with them. He insists on fighting one more time. The battle opens with a move that reduces the party's HP to 1. So, unless you've equipped some frame HPs, good luck. It doesn't affect Ramses the way Deus's having HP spell does, unfortunately. However, your lower HP will also make infinity-level attacks much more likely. So if you build up a few turns worth of attacks, you'll likely be dealing heavy damage soon in return. Winning the battle sends Ramses crashing through the wall. And that wall is literally what he's been beating his head against all along. The way through the lab where he was created leads next to the bandaged mass of Dave's with Ellie on the cross in front of it. Here, Krellian explains that her sacrifice will awaken Dave's without explaining in what sense or how this way of his is different from that so long awaited by the ministry. The battle that stands between us and understanding a little more this time is against Miang in the serpentine Alpiomorph, whose name evokes the narcotic power of the poppy. This is the one that we saw back in Solaris that was submerged in water. It's an Omnigear, so it's another tough battle. But the trick this time is tied to Miang's counterattack ability. So long as you heal up your party before attacking her, and then attack in quick succession. 
Her ether attack will remain relatively harmless. Once you do go on the offensive, its power will grow. Still, the likelihood of infinity-level attacks is in our favor, along with system id, or if you prefer phase pure feelings, we should be able to prevail. The recap of the respective components of God comes in next. Miang rises with an auto-heal function of nanomachinery granted her by Krellian. The legends with their religious trappings are translated into history. The anima relics are absorbed by Deus and it shuts down the gears of our friends much as Krellian shut down the Gazo. One of the clunkier lines here uh, refers to the others who took another route there, but the whole sequence is highly alarming, not just because it's such a massive info dump, but because of the flashing lights, the hints of mummy bandages looming from the floor, the tiny figure of Ellie crucified. At the last moment, though, none other than Ramses drags himself on stage. He strikes down Miang and then Krellian himself, seemingly cutting through that nanotech auto-revive function. But Miang's last words are ominous. Her wishes have come true. She couldn't kill herself, yet she longed for death. And in the time it takes for the others to arrive, kneeling beside his lover manipulator, her mother persona metempsychoses its way to the antitype, Sophia, Ellie. Once she is released from the cross, an anime cutscene has her shooting Faye with a gun taken from Billy. <laughs> it's just what she's been waiting to do ever since they met in the forest. This time, it's her hair that falls forward and covers her eyes, id-like. And then that hair changes to the indigo of Miang's, or Karen's. She looks on cruelly as behind her the eyes all over Deus open. And here she picks up where Miang left off the info dump, and it opens our eyes to some new details, though the shape of things has already been clear enough by now. The Miang mother-awakened Ellie relates how Deus went berserk during a test run and was disassembled. But the core took over its transport ship, the Eldritch, in that opening cutscene and survived the fall to the planet after the ship self-destructed. The original intent of Deus at that time was to return to the main planet, but this is not mentioned here. That's a detail we have to piece back together from the opening cutscene. It's very interesting to think about, for that original planet, that home planet, is where the Zohar was found, the source of all power, both gear and ether, of infinite energy. Although disconnected from the Zohar before their impact on this planet, 
Deus's biocomputer, called Cadmony, began the process of reviving itself, creating clones of humans, the first being Cain, and then the Gazel elders, and then all their descendants from there, in order to form the body of the weapon. Zohar, Cadmony, these are more mystical, Kabbalistic terms, it looks like, uh, like Gotia, the name for that key from before. The Zohar being a mystical uh, text, the Kadmoni, a name for Adam, the primordial or something like that. Again, besides their tendentious religious allusions, though, something else within game here is still not fully explained. How is it that people like your party and Krellian have escaped the transformation back into parts for days and have existed, whether living or transmigrating, through multiple generations? The potential to awaken as Miang Hava, or Eve, the keeper of time who guards Deus and guides the artificial humanity towards their destiny. This potential exists in all women, she claims. But these other people don't seem to be part of Deus's plan at all. And she and Krellian allow them, us, once more, to go free. As they turn to merge with Deus, Eli Miang alludes to the Zohar modifier as the last piece necessary for the completion of her work. In the cutscenes that follow, the gem-like floating Ark Merkava blasts the earth all around, sweeping away much of the world map. Faye has jumped in after his loved one, and uh, yet we can still fight back. Here, Satan picks up the narration. He's the only character besides Faye and Ellie to do so. The reason seems to be plot-driven in that Ellie has been absorbed into her mother persona and then into Deus, and Faye is in a kind of suspended animation after the awakening of Deus. Thematically, though, it's important to see things from a perspective outside of that central dyad, too. It's one of those others who, for whatever reason, has not succumbed to Deus's absorption. He speaks of the seraph forces that now wreak havoc over the land, whatever was spared by the laser cannon, and then how neither he nor any of the others stopped Shivat from freezing Fay in carbonite, as they feared the relapse into Id should he regain consciousness. But Satan does at least seek the truth from Queen Zephyr. Her flashback sets up the sacrifice Sophia made 500 years ago when the elders of Shavat and those of Solaris made a secret deal to divide the rulership of the world between them. Shavat would betray their allies in Nisan, while Solaris would hand over the Miang of that era. In old-timey monochrome film reels, we see Sophia's flagship kamikaze into the Solaris Merkaba lookalike, allowing her friends and followers to survive. Among them, Rani Fatima, 
Lacan, Zephyr, and Krellian. In response to her sacrifice, we see that Krellian loses faith in a god that did not respond and vows to create god with his own hands. Whereas Lacan, traumatized by not being able to protect Sophia, goes to seek the legendary power, the Zohar. When he finds it, it becomes Graf, and the world collapsed. Shivat retreated into its hermit-like concealment, leaving Solaris to double down on the lust for power which so nearly derails everything. Only now do the people of Shavat's contemplative dialogues acquire their full context. Satan's response to all this is not quite like any of them, like Krellian or Lacan, like Shavat or Solaris. He observes and he tells the story. Like a careful reader, he notices a pattern. He has a presentiment of what will come next. The scene shifts to Fay, moving among his memories, chiefly of his friends in their iconic settings, but also of Wiseman and Graf. Each of these scenes projected as a peripheral to the swinging cross and a circle of ghostly Fays around that circumference are surmounted by Ellie in the center, who is then superimposed upon by the image of Karen, Faye's mother, upon whom all of these shadows of Faye converge. They disappear, leaving Faye alone with the image of id, silhouetted child formed, projected upside down somewhere beyond. The kid explains what Satan through his analysis back in Solaris, had already discovered that Fay, the fake personality, has created a fourth persona capable of controlling their body. And that with that key, I take that to be self-consciousness and even self-creation, the kid, id, wants to show you something. The chapter title now is Dreams, and it concerns this mystery play of the unconscious. These dreams have been projected on that numinous stage for some time now. But in these, projected for Fay and it and for us, are the events surrounding that crisis 500 years ago. And they're not a slideshow with narration from the chair either, but they look tantalizingly close to actual gameplay. We see the resistance fighters of Nissan around the campfire, Ronnie and Renee prefiguring Bart and Rico. Lacan is there too, Faye's exact double. They spell it out for him that Sophia must like him if she agreed to sit for a portrait even after learning that he would be the one painting it, despite her misgivings about becoming a symbol. They try to bring Krellian into the ribbing, but he's aloof, seemingly busy recalling that conversation he and Lacan had about the best way to calm the heart. The book about nanotechnology he was reading at the time comes from the Zeboim civilization, from another of Faye's precursors. That memory fades into Lacan and Sophia, Ellie, 
agreeing to stop painting for the day. It's the first of these dreams of Disc 2, reviewed here once more. And her suggestion that Krellian should accompany him if he needs to go back home. Krellian confesses at this point at the campfire of some atrocities he's committed. But he reposes in the peace of mind Sophia's acceptance of him has conferred. In a darkened portrait room, Krellian and Rani meet Lacan, packing away his paints. He'll quit working on it, he says. It's not right to be painting when she's needed on the front. But then the real reason he gives is illuminating. Her smile, he says, it's killing me. The more she smiles at me, the more I... I feel my very being become insignificant. Inside my heart there is this empty existence. Other than painting, I have no worth. Yet she continues to accept my presence. I feel like I'm getting smaller and smaller. I didn't have this feeling in the beginning. I just wanted to paint her one more minute, one more second longer. I wanted to keep on painting forever. But suddenly I couldn't. As the picture neared completion, the empty part of me started to manifest itself in my brushstrokes. I was meant to be painting her as she really is, but this picture is my own self. My empty self has begun to appear within there. That's why I've got to stop now. Krellian responds rather harshly and gives a glimpse into his own desires at the same time. You're just running away. You can't bear it when she smiles at you. By painting her portrait, you notice the gap between your own inner emptiness and her inner abundance. And you could not fill that gap. That's why you're quitting your painting. You're refusing her. Even so, you still can't bring yourself to leave her, can you? In spite of that, why is it that she continues to smile at you? You can't accept her feelings. You who won't accept her feelings if it was me who was receiving such feelings. It trails off. And on a darkened landscape, his memory of imploring Sophia to take care of herself seems to be the closest Krellian comes to sharing how he feels. Back in the portrait room, Ronnie praises the intimacy of Sophia's expression. He dismisses Lacan's talk of emptiness as more pessimism, and he invites him along with their party. Rene and Zephyr come in with the news that they'll be going to Soylent in Solaris, where the Shavat elders and Sophia agree they should make their last stand. Sophia gets wounded there, apparently due to Lacan's hesitation, and Krellian has to rescue them. But he leaves them together in the hospital room of Yggdrasil, at Ronnie's insistence. There, Lacan apologizes. <laughs> Is it his misjudgment on the battlefield or in the portrait room that he's really apologizing for? He calls her Ellie again, wondering what she saw in him. And then he decides not to ask her after all, but it's too late. She's regained consciousness and heard his supposed soliloquy and she sits up to answer him. What did she see in him? His sweetness, his forbearance, 
He begs her not to speak like this, to reduce herself from symbol to human, to a woman. But she is convinced it's for the best. She is shown to her satisfaction that her light is in everyone, and they don't need the role of Sophia played anymore. Not as much as she needs to fulfill her womanhood. She speaks of living her one life honestly. It's a platitude, but it gains immeasurably when we remember that their lives are many more than one, and yet altogether make up one somehow. She speaks, too, of her love, at which point we see the Krellian is back turned, is frozen outside the door, standing guard, eavesdropping. Then comes the kamikaze sequence, her communications to each of them in the last moments. Krellian, she tells, to open his fist and with his open hand to gently hold the people who will continue to live. To Lacan, she says, support each other to live. It's what brings us happiness. So share that happiness and please, Lacan, live. Get that antique film footage, not for the last time. The message doesn't seem to get through, though. Or rather, the message that Sophia sends by her sacrifice is not the one she intends. Krellian muses, is God dead, or maybe he never existed? On the battlefield, he recalls her preaching, that faith is what you build within yourself. And he takes this as a mandate to destroy false pretenses of love. Ronnie, sensibly, determines to form a country to carry on the fight. And Lacan next appears in the Shavuot dungeons, seeing Ellie in Myang, learning from her the line he'll be haunted by forever, that with power he could have saved her. Despite Ellie's ghostly no and the clear turn that she meant her last words to have, he releases Myang and goes to seek the Zohar through the snow. That scene is juxtaposed immediately by Dan, of all people, in the dungeons in the present. A survivor like Lacan, and bereft of his loved one, he speaks as if mocking his own feelings. Does he come here to pray as if to an idol? Then another voice comes in, crying, she says, startling him. Midori, who speaks now, warns that his emotions are still alive. He'll wake up soon. It's calling him. And light bursts forth, as from the pendant. Faye manages to tell them to run away, and they seem to manage to, because Satan, picking up the narration again, tells how he broke out and took his gear in search of the Zohar but not of the catastrophic destruction that Zephyr and the others were fearing. Down in that same snow, the dock follows with Bart and Billy, and in phase unconscious, the kid and his world are all that's left to explore. That is, phase connection to the Zohar, the source of Id's power. 
Though his father tried to seal it off, he couldn't protect their mother, the kid says. But now the fake persona and the coward will disappear once they unite with the power of existence. He claims responsibility for showing us the glimpses of metempsychotic memory all along so as to weaken Faye's existence and break the seal. As we see, though, the effect has been quite the contrary. To deepen Faye's self-knowledge, to make that fake persona more real and capable, to the point of making him equal to this crisis. His friend's arrival interrupts whatever psychic conflict ensues. The kid intends to, as he puts it, tie together the threads of their existence and cut them off. This is the destiny of the contact. He leaves to go deeper with the ghostly fae and tells our main fae to observe. In the cavern amid the falling snow, embryonic Veltal Id has red gear in its so-called true form awaits them. And from the lava under the surface, up thrusts the Zohar with its massive eye. This is the fallen star of the chapter title. But so is Lacan, whom we've been watching and waiting for. Despite being without their Omnigears, the Id fight is not too bad here. Afterwards, Wiseman pirouettes in, aiming to finish him off. And when pressed by Id, he is revealed to be Khan, Faye's father, mustachioed and grizzled. He declares his encouragement to unify his son, despite Id's rejection as being responsible for having made them that way. In place of the Mother of Destruction, his gear holds out a fist of memories to help Faye become one. Meanwhile, the psychic struggle carries on in that emptiness within id. Empty, that is, of happy memories, but full of hate, with a kind of ease to it, to which Faye longs to return. But then Satan's voice comes through. Wasn't he going to help Ellie? And this gives him the strength in the coward's room to watch the projector reel of playing with his mother and to push through that to get more of the backstory filled in. In the coward's voice, we get that when his father was away, his mother one day changed. She took him somewhere where they did experiments on him psychic tests in which he destroyed all the subjects brought to look for anima potential. The phrase that he recalls is that things divided must be made whole. But his emotions were overwhelming, and these dead bodies, like broken dolls, fell around him. His father ignored it all as childish fantasy. And the id persona was created by him to escape the trauma. His father noticed the truth too late, that Karen had become Miang. We're told again that this is potential for any woman, but that Ellie 
special. Miang notices that Faye's time axis has expanded. Presumably this is part of her abilities as the mother to recognize the contact. And now Graf, formed after Lacan's destruction of the world and then possessing body after body in his own fashion, comes seeking this latest reincarnation and makes a mockery of Khan, his father. Again, an anime scene of an energy attack against Graf and, it seems, against his mother, too. Khan, in the present, admits that he made a mistake. And Id strikes him, even acknowledging that his father and mother aren't the real culprit here, pointing towards the coward. Now, Faye tries to intervene in that happy memory, calling it out as false. We killed her, he says. We have to acknowledge it and become one. Together with Faye and the parts of himself, we get the full memory now. That Karen, recovering herself at the last moment, stepped in front of the red energy headed back towards Faye. The pendant falling on the ground. That pendant that he, the game, have blocked out from us up until very recently. It calls this illusion, but then he accepts it. But their integration, he says, is still not complete. In some sense, it is a kind of illusion. A series of self-sacrifices from their past arise now, playing before us. In slow motion, we see Abel and the first Ellie running from the first generation of humans, bearing Cain in his litter who fires energy just as uh, Faye does later in his memory. Then we see the Zeboim scene once again. Then we see the painting scene, followed by the ship in full color this time. <laughs> then Krellian's vow and the Khan's transformation to Id and then to Graf to live until the end of the world and destroy it if necessary. All this with the music box melody playing over top. This seems to be the process of becoming one, taking in not only his current fractured personality, but also all of the memories of his past lives together, represented by these three crucial ones. Now, in imagination or in his own perception, they hear something calling to him from within Zohar, calling itself the first and the last. He asks if it's God. It says that's one way to think about it, but it prefers existence, all caps. It's a greenish, vaguely cruciform or anthropomorphic figure with circles radiating out from it. And it speaks in the harmonics of the memory cube, 
calling itself the wave existence. Zohar modifier, pseudo-perpetual infinite energy engine, was created back on the original Earth. In a test with Deus, it opened the path of Sephirot, down which the wave existence descended, advented, and was trapped in these four dimensions. In this sense, humans did indeed create God, as Krellian imagines. And to return to its home, wave existence needs something from humanity. It finds the power of the will. A mother's will is what it receives when it's observed. And we see this as an anime sequence of Abel standing before the Zohar, eyes wide. In response to Abel's will to return to his mother, Eli is manifested within the core. The existence gets split between her, the will, its physical form in the computer that also powers Deus, and its main power, its true power, flowing into Abel, the contact. As Deus and Zohar, so Fay and Ellie are inseparable, bound by the will of one who wants to return. Accepting responsibility and not blaming the wave existence for his split personalities, Faye is rewarded with Id's true form gear turned into Xeno gears. He has more questions, but the wave existence says to ask her later. In Khan's cockpit, Faye comes in to forgive his father, only to see him turn not into wise men, but into Graf, and to try to possess Faye. But, Xenogears, protecting your master, just as Krellian wondered before with Ellie, he says, so be it. And though Faye refuses to fight, Graf turns on the party members as bait. Once again, the same word Krellian had used. His interpretation of events is that breaking the cycle of rebirth will require total destruction, removing Deus and everything else. But Faye counters that as Karen came back, so too can humanity after the defeat of Deus. Now, the fight begins, and you'll see Sif System Id and all the other special options he once had are gone. But, Xenogears has much higher stats and a virtual guarantee of reaching attack level infinity. Groff's gear might also be a bit weaker after its loss of the anima relic, presumably. Anyway, with the God-given power of the gear whose title the game bears, but which we've been waiting some 60 hours to meet, Faye overwhelms Lacan. And in this case, Lacan finds that merging with Deus, as it takes the Zohar to it, 
will buy Faye and the others some time to see if their version of events can play out. Miang's memories are returning to her now that she's united with Ellie. And Faye wonders if the pendant is his mother's or Sophia's. That question is just one of many that we still might want to ask. There's little time left for him or the planet. But fortunately for us, with so much still to chew on, we have all the time in the world. Thanks for listening.